we're we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter thirteen. Let me uh, while you turn there. We've been in this particular section of scripture. I want to say maybe three or four weeks. There's there's a lot here. And um, let's see if we can see some additional things that the Lord has for us. Um, 26 to 41. There we are. Hear God's holy word. Brothers, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for pitting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross. They laid him in the tomb. God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled the promise to our children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and the sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was laid among his fathers, and he underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Amen. God's word. May he bless it to his glory and the good of his church. Let's pray. Oh God, what an amazing God you are. A God of glory, a God of grace, a God of might, a God of mercy. You are our God, and we are the sheep of your pasture. You are the potter, Lord God, and we are the clay. We pray, Holy Spirit, as you have revealed to us in your word, that it is your purpose to conform us into the image of the beloved Christ by the proclamation of the word. This business, Lord, is considered foolishness to carnal man the preaching of the cross, the preaching of you, Jesus Christ, the calling us to repent and to believe. Lord God, but to those who are changed, those who are changed, those who are the called, this is the wisdom of God. Lord, may your means of grace, even the word and the sacrament, bring us into your presence, and may we feed upon you, Jesus Christ, to your glory and our own edification. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you, you, you see the um, 
the sermon title, The Exaltation of Christ, His Resurrection from the Dead. The one is the, the larger category, the exaltation of Christ, and then the, the other, the resurrection of, of Christ, is one of the elements of that. That's my purpose, to, to, from this passage, look at those two things. The larger category of the exaltation of Christ, and then an element of that, obviously, being the resurrection of Christ. But I want to bring in, what, from what we read... Um, the thing that necessarily precedes the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the resurrection from the dead, which I hope to do, we have to bring in a subject which is an unpleasant subject for us to talk about, which is obviously death. And so the thing that precedes Christ's resurrection um, is his death and his subsequent his burial. So we have his humiliation is the thing that precedes his exaltation. His death precedes his resurrection. And God did not create human beings to die. Sometimes you go to a funeral and someone says, well, it's natural for people to die. It's not natural for people to die. Death is something that's been superadded to God's creation as an aspect of God's curse. So sin entered the world, death entered the world because sin entered the world. So death is an aspect of God's curse on creation. Read Genesis chapter uh, 2.17. Uh, chapter 3 all the way to the end read Romans chapter 5 all of it, first Adam, second Adam death is in the world because sin is in the world Um, I quote it all the time, the New England primer in Adam's fall we sinned all if there were no sin there'd be no death And, and, and so we have the thing that precedes, death came to the Lord Jesus Christ not because he's a personal sinner he gave up his spirit but because he became a representative sinner he became a curse for us, as I hope to show. But let me just touch on a few elements which will, of his humiliation, which I think makes his exaltation and resurrection even more, um, even more astounding. So we have Christ's state of humiliation and suffering. The humiliation and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ runs from his conception to his burial or from his birth to his death. It was humiliating. And we, we mentioned this before, we don't think it's humiliating to be a person, a human being, but he's the second person of the divine Godhead. He, and he was enjoying the, the fellowship of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the worship of holy angels, and then he condescends to become a human being, even a baby, um, and then to suffer and to die. So it, it, it was humiliating. For And Jesus did that. Everything... We, we, Everything Jesus does is as a public person that we see. He's a representative. The Puritans would say he's a common person. So what he does, he does for us. And so we bear his name. He is our husband. We are the bride. If the bride has a debt, the husband pays the debt. So he humbles himself for the sake of purchasing his bride. He does, everything is for us. And that same for us principle, mediatorial office for us principle carries through from his humiliation, suffering and death, and connects to his exaltation. So what he does in exaltation is for us. Everything is for us. And as a believer, you can say, for me. I've been a Christian only since I was 26, and I went everywhere. I mean everywhere. Pentecostal, holiness, you name it, I've been there. And so different churches will say, I'm going to claim that promise. I'm going to name it and claim it. Well, I'm not for naming and claiming health and wealth. God didn't promise you a color TV or Mercedes Benz. I don't care what Janis Joplin sang. I'm dating myself, I know. But when God says, I promise 
love, joy, peace, patience. I promise all those who come to me, I'll never turn away. I promise all those who come to me, I'll raise them up on the last day. Beloved, we can claim that promise. We can claim that because God has made that promise. So everything is for us. And as a believer, for me. This is for Jesus for me. His death is for me. His resurrection is for me. Does that make sense? So Jesus, how many times did he speak on the cross? Seven. And the sixth statement of Christ on the cross is, it is what? Finished. There's one word. I always butcher it in Greek, tetelestai. It is finished. And then, that's the sixth word. And the seventh word is what? Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. What is finished? When Christ says, it is finished. Finished. Read the book of Hebrews. Finished. This is why I'm no longer in the church of my youth. The church of my youth re-sacrificed Christ every single day. It is finished. Tetelestai. It is finished. What's finished? The work of purchasing God's elect people. That's what's finished. The payment has been made. The ransom price has been paid. The cost to reconcile us out of our sin, out of the estate of death, out of the estate of darkness, and translate us into the estate of light and life has been paid. Christ did not die for himself. Christ died for us. And when he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. It's done. When you think, well, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. No, that's the point. We're all wretched, evil, wicked sinners left to ourselves. No one's good enough. No one's righteous. It's his payment. He pays. And so what we owe, which we cannot pay, Tetelestai, I've paid. And the rest of our life is a thank offering. And so it's, it's the substitutionary, vicarious atonement of Christ. That's what he pays. John chapter 8, I always do the things. I'm going to do the work my father gave me. And that work was humiliating. How many of us would die for uh, uh, wicked people? How many of us would be abused the way he was abused? How many of us would be murdered naked the way that he was murdered naked? And so on. But he did all of that for us. And the other aspect of his humiliation is his death is his burial. And even that's for us. Jesus Christ was buried for us. His death on the cross ended his active sufferings. And theologians sometimes talk about, well, he still had passive sufferings to go. And the passive sufferings was undergoing the humiliation of being buried. Christ does that for us. How many funerals have you been to in your life? How many people that you love have you buried? Lots, right? Lots. Death is a fearful thing. The Bible says it's the final enemy. It's the last enemy. And it, it, it dogs us our whole life. Hebrews chapter 2 and 4. It's this, this thing. And then when you say goodbye to a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, it's sad business. I don't care. I know there's the spare Christian. Oh, I'm not afraid. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Don't you love anybody? You're going to go to your loved one in the grave of a loved one and start talking nonsense like you're... Vince Lombardi, what's wrong with you? It's a sad thing, is it not? It is. Christ goes to the grave. Why? To take away the fear of that for, from us, from our people. We no longer have to be afraid of the dying. We no longer have to be afraid of the tomb because of this one. 
because his life didn't terminate in humiliation. It, it, it ended in exaltation. He conquered death. He conquered the tomb. He came out of the tomb. It's all for us. We will die. And Jesus says in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the what? And the life. Remember what he tells the, the sister? He who believes in me, even if he dies, shall what? Live. Lazarus come forth. We're coming forth because of this one. So he does those things to show us as his believers. This is believer. If you tell me you're not a believer, then this is not for you. And if you tell me you're not a believer, I'm going to beg you, become a believer. Now you say, well, we believe in elections. So do I. And, and if you have the list, please show it to me. You don't have the list. Only God has the list. And as long as you have breath, I'm going to beg you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 to the end. We beg you. I beg you. Be reconciled to God in Christ. So then when it comes to your dying time, you can say, he's taken away this thing of death for me. You can say to be absent from the flesh is to be what? Present with the Lord. That the tomb is not the end. So that's his, his estate of humiliation, death, burial. Now, now we come here to consider the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And if you permit me, um, our passage talks about, I don't know, it's a lengthy passage. Our passage talks about, if you have a highlighter, I do this. If you have, a, if you have your own Bible, if you don't have your own Bible, talk to me. I'm going to get you a Bible. But I want you to have a, your own Bible. And I know Bibles on the phone are good, but you should have a regular Bible. Because you can't on the phone start marking up and making notes. So I want you to have a regular Bible. And then take your pen and your highlighter and you mark that critter up. And you go through that Bible and you're going to see in this passage like five, six, seven, eight times God raised him from the what? Dead. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. When we, when we were kids, my parents, you didn't want my parents to repeat. We were not enlightened. My, we were poor, working class. We were not enlightened people. And so, like the moderns are enlightened. And if my, my mother and father had to repeat themselves, it was going to be a special process um, that was going to occur usually on the backside. And you didn't want that. God condescends to repeat himself constantly. <laughs> Some of you, if you're a young parent, you're like, I'm never going to repeat myself to your kid. Well, of course you're going to repeat yourself because the kid forgets and the kid's willful and you forget. So we repeat ourselves. God condescends here like eight times. Did I tell you I rose, I raised Christ from the dead. I raised Christ from the dead. So if you permit me to back up and take the general subject of which this is a part, I want to deal with the subject of exaltation. He goes from humiliation to exaltation, and that's what's going on here. That's what's the focus. So, and when I, and this is important, when I speak about Christ's exaltation, it can be confusing. Since he's the second person of the divine Godhead, and there is a couple of words, both in the Hebrew, even the word Elohim is in the plural. It denotes plurality in the Godhead, and I know we could discuss about that in, 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 um, Acts chapter 17, there is actually a word, it's a, it's a derivative of theos, which is in the plural, which denotes plurality in the Godhead. We, we can have a study on the Trinity, which is a mind blower. But we'll look at that later. Before Christ came into the flesh, Nestorius was wrong. He used to say there was a time that Christ was not. No, 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 no. 
No, no, no. Someone said to me the other day uh, on, on these things, the creation of... No, 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 no. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. That's what Yahweh or Jehovah means. I am that I am. Yesterday, today, forever. Uncreated, underived, utterly blessed in himself. That's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So did Christ have glory before his incarnation? Yes, he did. Read the high priestly prayer. We sometimes say the Lord, we called it our Father in the church of my youth, which is from um, Matthew 6 and I think, oh, is it Luke? I forget. But Matthew 6, certainly. And we say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. No, 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 that's the Lord's Prayer for the, the Lord's disciples. The Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer, is John 17. In John 17, he says, Father, the glory I had with you before I, became, I came in the flesh. So Christ always was glorious, always. What, when we talk about Christ's state of exaltation, when we talk about Christ's exalt, state of exaltation, we mean as a mediator. So what, what, and when I speak about mediator, I mean when he comes in the flesh to purchase his people. That's what I mean. And so Christ, in, in that estate, as our mediator, he's born, he's humbled, he dies, humiliation. And then he goes from that to exaltation or glory. And remember I said, everything here is for us. And as a believer, for me. I, I want you to think of that. Humiliation, suffering, death. And then, for us, and then, resurrection, ascension, session, return. Glory, for us. What are some principal, basic things that you learn about that scheme? I'm on a secret diet, and I'm trying to like get healthy and get my blood numbers and everything so the docs can get off my back and all these great things. And so then you go online, and I go online, and you see, guys, it's not that everybody online, you should be careful. We're going to eat carrots, and then we're going to live to 100 or 200. I'm not, you know, you're not living to 200, because God says you're not living to 200. He says to Moses, it's going to be max 120. And then in the Song of Moses, in Psalm 90, he says, max like 70, 80, 90, max, max. And then you're toast. You're going home. <laughs> you're toast. You, you can eat blueberries till they come out your eyeballs. When we come here, we're going to learn that we are going to live in that state of humiliation, but it's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Our brother mentioned a few times in Sunday school this morning the word despair. And was it Anne of Green Gables? Which, which one? The mother said, I don't know, all the women watch what. They say, she, she rebuked the girl, the old woman. She rebuked the girl. The girl said she's despairing. And she said, we're Christians, and despair is, I don't know what she said. She rebuked the girl. She, despair is not Christian or something. like. You know, my wife will tell me what I'm, she, she wants to come up here and tell me now. But we're not supposed to despair. Okay, let's care and share. <laughs> There may be occasions as Christians, well, it's not despair. It sure looks like despair. We start to get quasi-despairing when we think never is never getting better. I'm always going to be sick. My marriage is always going to be lousy. I'm always going to be poor. It's never going to get better. Beloved, that scheme of humiliation, exaltation, tells us, don't think like that. 
Christ's humiliation was only for a time and then it ended, never, never to, to come again. And then when he entered his estate of exaltation for you, it's forever. Job says this. If you are, if, if you are a believer this morning, and you're in some, I don't know, some valley, and you're thinking, my life is going to be horrible forever. Don't listen. That's the devil talking to you. Listen to this. Here's another guy that knew a little bit about suffering. And this is where the benefit of Christ's exaltation comes into play. I know everybody and their brother thinks they're Job. My father used to think he was Job too. Job 14.14 If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait. And what does he say next? Sam Cook, until my change shall come. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. So here's Job. He's scraping himself. With, he lost his kids. He lost his wealth. He still got his wife, which was probably, I don't know. And that I'm going to, I'll do this. Even though he slay me, I'll love him and serve him. Because my change is coming. And then Job said that this is the benefit of believing humiliation, exaltation. Humiliation has an end. And it's coming sooner than we think. Job 19, I love this one. Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives. Yet at the last, he will take a stand upon the earth. Christ. Even after my skin is destroyed. That's what's going to happen to us. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Yet from my flesh I shall see God with glorified flesh, whom I myself shall behold, and my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Beloved believer, beloved suffering believer, I'm going to tell you something. Your suffering, your weeping may last for a night time, but joy cometh in the morning. And I don't, I'm not saying that flippantly. Sometimes when you're suffering, people come to you, hesitations 3-6, you know, blah, 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 have a a field day, boom, boom, boom. Don't even listen to it. Don't do that to a person. Don't go to a suffering, a sufferer, believer, and glibly say, you, you pat two verses and not even shed a tear for the person, and then just run off for Italian or Chinese food. Because they know that you don't, you're not empathetic. Christ is our sympathetic, empathetic high priest. And so when we are suffering, God says to us, is coming to an end. And then following that is glory. Well, how's it going to be? I don't know exactly how it's going to be, but it's going to be fabulous. And it will never have an end. And I'm going to say something else. And that's coming faster than we think. For everybody here, the end, that, that final moment then when we will suffer is, is coming, it's quicker, it's coming quicker than it was yesterday. Paul says somewhere, maybe the book of Romans, we're closer to seeing Jesus Christ than when we first believed. We're closer to the end of our state of humiliation than yesterday. 
we're closer to the estate of our glory with Christ than yesterday. We think, what is that supposed to be do for me experimentally? Make you happy. Make you encouraged. How are you going to do what you're going to do with the broken body you're going to do? How are you going to do what you're going to do with the broken marriage you're going to do? Man, I'm going to glory. Man, I'm going to glory. What, what lies ahead of me isn't, is so good it hasn't even entered the mind of man. You look at a person who works without hope and what do they look like? You look at a person that, that, that lives and works with hope and what do they look like? Man, does that mean they're healthy and wealthy? No. You could be sick as a dog. Read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 40. They're, eating, they're living in goat skins, living in, in, in caves. But how are they living? We're going to glory. We are the super overcomers. This isn't whistling by the graveyard, that statement that we used to use as a kid. This isn't just be goodism, optimism. Our Christ went from humiliation to exaltation. We will go from humiliation. We will, will, will. Exaltation because of our Christ. Now, it's not my purpose here, but I just want to, I'll run through the elements and then we'll jump into the, to, to, kind of explicating resurrection. The various aspects of Christ's uh, exaltation are his resurrection from the dead. And so there's a couple of things. There are things that have happened. There are things that are happening. So past tense things in Christ's exaltation, present tense things for Christ's exaltation, and then future tense things for Christ's exaltation. And so the past tense things that have occurred, various elements, are his resurrection from the dead and then his ascension into heaven. So he goes from one place to another place. And I'm not Lutheran. I know they have a view, the, ubiquity, the, ubiqui, uh, the ubiquitous nature of Christ, physical body. Ubiquity deals with physical body. I don't understand this, so if you're a Lutheran and you understand it, tell me later. Christ is at the right, the body, Christ has a physical real body. He's somewhere. So in my purpose with the ascension is, he goes from one lo- location to another location. Heaven is real. There, there, he, Christ's body is at the right hand of the Father. He goes from one place to another place. We are going to go, as Christian believers, when we die, from one place here to another place. Our spirit goes up. Our body is going to rest in the grave until the resurrection. So those, that has happened. So you have resurrection. You have ascension. What's Christ doing right now? Right now, what is he doing? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's called his session. That's current. That's that's a present tense. He's doing this right now. And what's he doing? He's interceding for the saints. Charles Wesley, I love Charles Wesley. He was really a flaming Calvinist but didn't know it. Don't let that ransom sinner, what? Die. Christ is... He saved us from the wrath of God. He saved us from the dominion of the devil. And he keeps us saved. I know there are some Christians, well-meaning Christians, and they think you can lose your salvation. Oh, I hope that's not you. Um, I have good news for you. You can't lose your salvation. Why? Because the son who has purchased you is the son who's praying for you. He doesn't lose any sheep, John chapter 17. You're not going anywhere. And if you think, well, I, I have a plan that I'm going to go send it up. I don't recommend that. He's taking you to the woodshed. He, he, you're coming back. You're not going anywhere. And he's ruling and restraining his and our enemies. And what's that future tense element of Christ's exaltation? What will Christ do? So depending on the church that you were raised, I was raised Roman Catholic. 
And so maybe if you're a race, maybe a more liturgical church, Episcopalians, even Methodists, I suppose. So I said the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed every week of my life. Um, Christ will come back again on the last day, and he will judge the living and the what? And his what will have no end, and his kingdom will ha shall have no end. That's the future tense. That's exaltation. So all of those are aspects of Christ's exaltation for us. Now let's unpack a little bit the business of Christ being raised from the dead. I want to deal with, just very basically, we have in our text, we're told a number of times, look at verse 30. God raised him from the dead. Now, there are things in the Bible, I, I, wasn't, I didn't become a born-again Christian, which is redundant, I know, but I didn't become a born-again Christian until 30. There are lots of Christians that call themselves Christians that don't, that don't know Genesis to, to, from, from Matthew. They're not Bible Christians. They're sacramentalists, they, they, sacerdotalists, lots of things. They're kind of rites and man-made ceremonies. I'm not picking on them. They're wrong. Read Mark 7, 1 through 14. Um, those things have an appearance of wisdom, but they don't have the power to break the power of sin. Colossians 2 to the end of the chapter. So they're wrong. We want to be Bible Christians. We don't want to be the kind of Christian, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, of course, I'm a Christian. I wasn't raised Jewish, I wasn't raised as a Hindu, I wasn't raised as a Buddhist. I'm a Christian. No, we want to be Bible Christians. And the Bible comes along, and we don't have to be, we don't have to go to seminary. Verse 30, God raised him, Jesus, from the dead. It says it. Now, are there people that deny, let's just deal with the general idea of resurrection from the dead in general. Are there people that deny that when you die, it, there is a possibility of resurrection from the dead? Yes. And what do we call these people? We call these people atheists. Now, atheism is exploding in our country. Like lots of, we're, I, I think we're a post-Christian, don't, I hope I don't hurt your feelings. I think we're a post-Christian country and a neo-pagan country. Um, it's sad to say, and part of that neo-paganism is, which is interesting because paganism is, they believe in some form of deity, is kind of an embracing of, of atheism. When I was a kid, and I'm 58, when I was a kid, you wouldn't have gobs of people running around saying they're atheists. If you said you're an atheist, this is why presidents, they used to typically do it. Bill Clinton did it, I, um, Trump did it. They all, when they're running for office, they get a Bible like this big. And they go in front of Bob's Baptist or Mary's Methodist, and they go like one of these, so you can say, <laughs> I, I'm a Christian, I'm a theist, I believe in the God of the Bible, and then we all go like this. But now people are coming out of the woodwork, I don't believe in there is God. So people, uh, in Greek, ah is negative. Theos is God. Ah, theos, no God. That's what that means. It's like power is dunamos. Ah, dunamos is no power. So there are people that are propositional intellectual atheists. They write out the Dawkins Hawkins. They write out, this is why we're not atheists. But there are gobs of practical atheists. They say they're atheists, but they live like there's no God. They deny people who go in the grave don't get out of the grave. And even remember the Sadducees? The, the two groups that were against Christ primarily, um, well, uh, the, the Pharisees, they're called the um, the. the the separate ones, and the Sadducee from Tzadok in Hebrew is the righteous ones. Um, they were the libertines. Um, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Sadducee. 
And they said, there's no resurrection from the dead. There's no spirits. There's no, you just, this is it. You live for now. This is it. And remember, they try to catch Christ. Uh, there's seven brothers and each one, the, the, the Leverite marriage, and they marry. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They think they're going to give him the zing. And what does Jesus say to them? This is the answer to the, 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 the speculative the, atheist, the practical atheist. Jesus is this. You are mistaken. You don't understand the scriptures and you don't understand the power of God. Here's what, here's what the people that are atheists or deniers of God, here's what they say. Well, in order to believe this business and God raised him from the dead, I have to suspend my reasoning, right? I'm going to steal something from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul says, you don't have to suspend your reasoning. You have to forsake your pride. So it's not reasoning. And this is not suspending reasoning. It's submitting our will. Beloved, I, I have atheists in my family. They go and turn on their car. They don't know how the combustion engine works. They go and flick on the light. They don't know how that works. They go eat food. They don't know how that causes life. We do gobs of things that we don't understand. And it's only God that we say, well, you've got to get off your throne and explain yourself to finite man or else I'm not going to believe you. It's unbelief. And I'm just going to say this. This is Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. We're not immune to unbelief. No one in this room. A believer, we're not immune. The Bible says, watch out for the evil heart of unbelief. Remember Israel? Israel comes out of the wilderness. This is Hebrews 3 and 4. And he says, for the whole lot of them, the, the, the whole generation, they died in the wilderness. So they were in the covenant community. They were in the household of faith. They were in the church, as it were. They were circumcised. And they were baptized, as it were. And they died. And God said, I swore they'll never enter my wrath. They were unbelievers. They were in the church and not in Christ. They were unbelieving church members. It's a real thing. Unbelief is a real thing. And I, I, I would say for us as Christians, when we look at this business of Christ, and I know I'm probably going to, we won't have lots of time talking about the, re- the resurrection, but when we talk about the resurrection of Christ, all of the guys, the apostles, Christ sends them out, and even the ordinary officers, Titus and uh, Timothy, and ordinary ministers like myself, the primary charge is to preach Christ. And the, the, the two things, the crucifixion of Christ, he dies for our sins. And, the, and then the exaltation of Christ. He rises for our justification. This doctrine, doctrine means teaching, this doctrine is fundamental. This is fundamental. I, again, I mentioned I was a Roman Catholic. My dad, when, when he was alive, he flew down to Tallahassee at the time, and he flew over Tallahassee. And of course, there's a bazillion churches, all Protestant churches. And so he was always giving me the zing for the Protestants. He says, yeah, John... I saw all those churches, blah, blah, blah. You can't get along. And you left the one true church and blah, blah, blah. All all of this business. I will say this. It it is really sad that Christians spend a good bit of their time beating up on other Christians. (laughs) I'm not for kumbaya. We have no doctrine. I'm not for that. If you charge me of that, you're wrong. But for the love of Pete, just because they say tomato and we say tomato and they're big enders and we're little enders, you, if you're a Baptist, you dunk. Have a field day. Dunk away. I'm going to sprink and I'm going to pour. Right? 
Is that the fundamental? Is that the main? Did the apostles, doesn't Paul say, I know he does, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and the Lord did not send me to do what? Baptism. He didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to do what? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's that? The good news that Christ has died for our sins and Christ didn't stay in the grave. He rose. This is fundamental. This is fundamental. I had a guy many years ago. I really liked him. And he came and he was quit the church. And, and I, if you're going to quit the church, I'll come to me and say, and he came. And he said, um, I'm not, I just hear like a lot of the similar message every week. I'm like, awesome. Tell me what you hear. It's just Jesus and good. <laughs> yes, I, I'm doing what I want to do. Now, am I, I hope I'm not foolishly redundant. I mean, we're, we're trying to unpack exaltation, the various elements, all of those other things. Do we ever outgrow? Can we get on to the real big stuff? Really? Really? We're going to get on to the big stuff? How we interact with the political state and the Christian and the state and the state and the state. You're never going to hear that from me. <laughs> never. Don't ever say never. We, 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 um, we spend way too much time fighting with brothers and sisters over secondary and tertiary things. And I'm going to say something else. If it was another church, I'd say raise your hand, but we're Presbyterians, so we can't do that. So do this, do, do this, do this. Raise your hand like in your head. In your head, do you love Christ? Is he your only hope in life and death? Is he, did he die for your sins? Is he alive now for, for you? In your head, raise your hand. Now, I have another question. Are there people that you love that are unbelievers? They don't know the Christ that you love. They don't know. Like, no fooling. Like, no one puts anyone in heaven. We always put Uncle Mark or Grandpa or Grandma. We always put them in heaven when they die. You, you don't put anybody in heaven when they die. Be honest with yourself. Is there people, are there people that you love that don't know Jesus? You who do know Jesus, we squander the time that God has given us by talking about secondary, tertiary, nonsensical things. We need to be talking about this one. The apostles are going to people that are unbelievers, which means they're in their sin. And what do they want to talk about? Let's talk about Jesus. You want to talk about Trump? I don't want to talk about Trump. And I'm just being a little silly. I saw a Christian made some tweet, whatever they did, and they said, well, it's going to be the Easter season. It's the season of the suffering, and Trump suffered, and just like Christ rose from the dead, Trump is going to rise again, and he's going to be president in 2024. Oi, ve, ist mir as we would say in the land of my birth. Are you serious? <laughs> if you're going to your sister who's a Buddhist, and she doesn't know Christ, <laughs> don't talk about those other things. Talk about the Christ who died for you and rose for you, who lives and prays for you. We, we, spend, way too much, I, we spend way too much time. And when the Bible says, and God raised him from the dead, I'm going to say one more thing, and I promise I'll, I'll be quiet. He says earlier in the passage that the scriptures are read every Sabbath. This is important, because he's talking to church folks, essentially. 
And the scriptures are read every Sabbath concerning the Christ. And what does he say? What does the Holy Spirit say? And they didn't know it. They didn't understand. They were church-going, Bible-listening folk. And what did they do? When are we going to the buffet? They didn't know anything. Oh, beloved, it is so possible it'll make me cry to be raised in a Bible-believing home, a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church, a Christ-preaching church, and not, 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 not understand a word. Not understand a word. These Jews had the Old Testament. Did God raise anybody from the dead in the Old Testament? Think of Elijah, think of Elisha. The Shunammite's son, the other one's son. And then when Elisha's body is thrown on a dead guy, no, the dead guy is thrown on Elisha's bones, he comes to life. What about the New Testament? The widow of Nain, John 9, rises from the dead. Dorcas, Jairus' daughter, rises from the dead. Lazarus, come forth, rises from the dead. When Christ, when Christ died and the veil was ripped into the temple from the Holy of, to the Holy of Holies, what happened? Remember? And the graves of Old Testament saints opened up and what did they do? They walked into Jerusalem and said, Jesus is the Christ. And that what preeminently says, Jesus is the Son of God. Not Son of God by adoption like us. Son of God by essence. The preeminent thing that we say, that's it. It's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. Beloved, David says our, our lives have fallen to us in beautiful places. Your life as a believer has fallen to you in a beautiful place. There are some folks that love the study of eschatology, fancy word for words on end times. And they're always, when is it going to work and how is Jesus coming back? And here's part of their, the reason they want to. Um, it's because they want to be the final generation. And you know why they want to be the final generation? They don't want to die. They don't want to die. That will be the only generation that's translated like Elijah. Zoop. Off you go. I don't even have to die. No cancer. No, no, no heart attack. No anything. Zip. But short of the final generation, we're all going to do it the old-fashioned way. Right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe he's the Lamb of God and he takes away the sins of the world? Do you believe that he's taken away your sins? Do you believe, do you confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you? The moment you die, your body will rest in the grave until you get a new one. Your spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. On the very last day, which we used to talk about in the church, which no one talks about anymore, it's Judgment Day. When Christ comes back on Judgment Day, what's going to happen? You're getting a brand new body. Glorified like Christ. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death. It's, there's going to be no capacity for suffering. And your bodies will be made like Christ with such capacities that you will be able to endure and enjoy the immediate presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throughout all eternity. All because of this one.
May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.